Dotnet Rocks episode 739 with guest Eric Sink. Recorded live Thursday, February 2nd, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard here. What's up, Richard? I finally got my Christmas present from you. Ah, you did? Are the pears still edible? Ah, uh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you open up, uh, and so for those who don't know, and of course nobody knows except for me, I've got this crazy stack of goodies for, uh, from uh, Carl for Christmas. And you're right, there's no way you could have shipped that across the border to Canada. Yep. Uh, in fact, I probably couldn't have brought those pears back. But there was probably. lots of, you know, packaged nuts and some chocolates and all kinds of different things. But there was this box of pears. The problem, of course, is that you shipped it to me before Christmas by sending it to Mark and Karen's. Yeah. I was at Mark and Karen's last night, and they opened up the box, and when we got to the box that had the pears in it, we sort of opened it up, took a look in. There was a bit of an experiment mummification going on. We thought we'd just leave them alone. And put it yeah, alone. that's fine. But you know how it is. You can't ship fresh fruit across the border. That's it's true. Against, it's against the rules. Well, I tried anyway. At least you guys could have chowed down there if you had gotten down further. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, there was much negotiating for for what parts... Uh, when you have a pack full of kids, as the Man- Miller Mangicotti house has, and chocolates and goodies are revealed, there well, was much negotiation. here's the fun thing. I sent one to them, too. So they have already been through round one of chocolates oh, yes. and, and so they, goodies. I believe me, these kids knew exactly what they wanted. So I'm reading Twitter today, and John McIntyre says, Sucks that at .NET Rocks is squatted on. Wish uh, Richard Camel, Carl Franklin could take it. And I'm I'm sort of pulling out of my driveway as I read this. I'm like, huh? And I stop and I'm thinking that he meant .netrocks.com. And I'm thinking somebody knows something that I don't know and our site's down and somebody stole our name. So I'm like freaking out. No. Yeah. No. So you can tweet us uh, at Carl Franklin and Richard, what's yours? At Rich Campbell. And we also have some sort of .NET Rocks alias that we don't use. We just pretty much use our personal Twitter yeah, there accounts. Was a, we made up a, I made the, the .NET Rocker one when we were doing the road trip, but yeah. it hasn't been used since the road trip. Yeah, just tweet us. It's okay. Yeah, I'd love to get the .NET Rocks one back. It is squatted. I think there was like 10 tweets in 2009, and it wasn't used again. And then it, one popped up in 2011, and it's just spam. Come so. on, dude. Give it up. Yeah. Really? I, what are you going to do with I that? I don't understand. All right. Let's put pressure on him. Yeah. Well, my favorite tweet lately is the one from Jim Holmes right after that one where he said, I curse you, Richard Campbell, for getting me hooked on this amazing piece of cooking equipment. Yeah, great. Because uh, I mentioned the AmeriQ, my box smoker, and oh, then man. he went and looked at it, and now he needs to have one, and now he hates me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump into Better Know a Framework and get started here. Awesome. So I went looking for... Um, some open source projects that we haven't heard of, mm-hmm. at least on this uh, show. And I found an interesting one. Now, I just found it. I have no idea if it's good. Right. So I want the minions to go out there and, and give it a run through. And uh, it looks good. So let's leave it at that. It's at bit.ly slash XZMU1K. And I think these are case sensitive. So it's lowercase XZM capital U one capital K. 
And that brings you to indexus.net shared cache, a high-performance distributed cache and cluster.net cache for enterprise applications running in server farms. Indexus.net shared cache provides distributed replicated cache to minimize the load factor. It consists of the usage of two or more servers in a farm. It's replicated all data within the cluster. The big plus is simple. You have all your cache nodes on different servers. In case one of your servers gets restarted, it will receive all nodes automatically from its parent. All data is available locally, which minimizes the way and any get operation is faster than to call third system. So I think you get what they're trying to talk about there. And they have a homepage at sharedcash.com. So that's it. Tell cool. me what you think, people. Let's investigate. Richard, who's talking to us? I uh, grabbed a comment off of show 737, which just recently we talked to Jeremy Lickness about Silverlight 5. And what I like about this particular comment is that Jeremy also responded to it. So I like to read both pieces. Okay. So the comment, and the, and the, the guy's going to get the mug out of this deal. Is Stuart Quinn who said, if you care about reach, then Silverlight as a viable platform is most certainly dead. Yes, Windows 8 supports Silverlight, but the Metro browser does not. It may be currently supported on the Mac, but not on the iPad. Maybe it still has a place in line of business applications where it seems to have found its niche, but other than that, it's on its way out. And as full disclosure, I've recently picked up a contract to help convert a Silverlight app to MVC3, HTML5, and the web in general is the future, not vendor-specific plugins. Yeah. Jeremy responded to to Stuart on the comment engine as well. I don't agree. We'll see how the no plug-in pans out. It's a movement that has been around for a long time before Silverlight, but unfortunately the standards bodies can never seem to keep up with technology, so people end up needing plugins to fill the gaps. Are you going to support every document type out of the box? I doubt it. Silverlight mm. is definitely not the solution for reach, but neither is HTML5. It's far from ready. Just look at the companies specializing in reach, Facebook, Google, etc. Do they have a single HTML5 solution? No. Or a single platform for that matter. Exactly. You- they are still writing native apps for various targets. Silverlight fills a specific niche on the desktop. Metro not supporting the plugin is irrelevant. The Office 15 applications aren't written in Metro. And Jeremy, you're projecting there. It's not entirely true. There's things going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'll switch to the desktop and use the product. The experience is no different for a Silverlight out-of-browser application. Again, there are many applications that make sense for HTML5 and a web-based stack, but high-touch line-of-business apps are a long way from being feasible in the HTML5 stack. Have you noticed when companies write their applications for HTML5, they don't do a release like, we just rewrote this in HTML5 for all platforms. Instead, (laughs) they say, we just wrote this in HTML5 for iPhone. Mm -hmm. In other words, there are still major compatibility issues, and the idea of a write once, run everywhere is far from reality. The more I see companies ditch it and go all in with HTML, the more I see them going, what on earth did we do? (laughs) The cost of development and defect rates are going through the roof. JavaScript is not enterprise-friendly, and it takes a lot of work and knowledge to scale. And I, and I read this because I almost completely agree with Jeremy. I see that HTML5 is still fragmented. Yep. I see that the big players aren't even moving to it, or they're just experimenting in small spots. I see native apps still flooding into app stores everywhere. Yep. And so... As my, you know, the plugin, no plugin thing is an experiment and it could go either way. I have a tough time with translating apps, taking working products and rewriting them. It's, it's a terrible thing to do. Take stuff that works and risk breaking it just because you want to shift platforms. Yeah. Now that being said, you know, the greenfield argument is a different argument, but it don't, it doesn't automatically win on the website either. Speed of development 
is a factor, and Silverlight still wins that hands down. But Stuart, we don't have to agree with you to send you a mug. Thanks right. so much for your comment, and we'll get one out to you right away. And if you'd like to get a mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. Obviously, you can see the conversations get hot and heated at .netrocks.com. So get over there and check it out, and you might just win yourself a mug. Hey, Richard, before we uh, introduce Eric and bring him back, which I'm really excited about, I want to tell you about something that I'm working on. For all those really nice acoustic guitar players out there in the audience, in the .NET Rocks audience, and you know who you are, you're addicts. You're addicted to acoustic guitars. I'm talking the Taylors, the Martins, you know, the Santa Cruz, the, the McPhersons, the Collings, all of those really good high-end guitars. If you're interested in seeing how these things uh, compare sonically, both in listening and in spectral analysis, you might want to take a look at a new video show that I'm doing. It's called Acoustic Addicts. And if you're interested in this, send me an email, carlfranklins.net, and I will give you personal access to the pilot episode, which is in production right now. And it's me and uh, acoustic guitar expert Richard Caruso. We're, we're teaming up to do this. Lots of fun. I'm glad you're doing that, Carl. It's, you know, tying your two loves together, and I'm sure it's going to make for some really cool content. Well, it, it's just always fascinated me. Um, spectral analysis is a visual representation of the frequency spectrum of, of the, of a sound source. And you can not only hear the difference in some of these guitars based on what woods they're made out of in the craftsmanship, but you can see the difference. You can visualize the sound in a way that, uh, that I don't think they're doing on video shows on the internet. So it's going to be really fun and educational too. And if you like really good guitars, I think you're going to want to check it out for sure. So that's going to be really good. Uh, I also need to tell you about Pluralsight. Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have nearly 200 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, such as those you hear on this show. Pluralsight releases 8 to 10 new courses every month, and they have a free 10-day trial where you have access for 200 minutes to their video library. Pluralsight offers a full curriculum on software practices, including courses on design patterns, test-first development, object-oriented design, continuous integration, and Scrum. Try Pluralsight today. Subscriptions start at just $29 a month. You know, somebody just asked me if I would do a Pluralsight video on the electricity show. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll think about it, see what we could do. Oh, my, well, now uh, you're hooked. Now I shouldn't have said anything. My video editing chops just are salivating now. That sounds fun. Oh, yeah. And if you haven't been listening to our Geek Out shows, uh, go use the tag Geek Out and uh, have a listen. We've been having a lot of fun geeking out on different technologies. And the latest one was the Electricity Show, soon to be followed up by the Smart Grid Show. Yeah, well, Richard basically schooled the world in how electricity works for those who never really got it. And it was awesome. And you got it. You know it. Yep. It's in you now. Yep. Now you're ready to go further because, believe me, it gets crazier from here. I bet it does. And that brings us to our guest. Eric Sink is the founder of SourceGear, a software vendor in central Illinois. In 03, SourceGear released Vault, a version control tool designed to be a replacement for SourceSafe. Ow! I get a pain in my neck every time I say SourceSafe. <laughs> Nine years later, Vault continues to be a successful product in its niche. More recently, Eric has been focused on a next-generation project, Veracity is a distributed version control system like Git and Mercurial. It's open source, 
with an Apache license and cross-platform on Windows, Mac, and Linux. In 011, Eric published a free book called Version Control by Example. VCBE is available online and free printed copies are available from Source Gear until they run out. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Nice to be here. Welcome great, back. Great to have you back. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's been a while. So isn't the source control thing over? Isn't Git taking over everything? I mean, Phil Hack's there now. That's the end of the road, isn't it? <laughs> Is he the last person to switch? <laughs> no, I was saying, once Phil's on board, you know the greatness is there. <laughs> That's good to know. Um, I, I, well, I certainly get has all the buzz right now, yeah. but, um, and deservedly so. You know, I'm not going to say otherwise, but there's an awful lot of people out there. Um, there are still 5 million subversion users. And, uh, uh, I've used subversion and, and it, Really, it seems like Git just took off from where Subversion left off. There's, there's no question that uh, that Git is a next generation effort. Um, the uh, the thing is, you know, people like Subversion, and one of the reasons that they like it is uh, ease of use. It's really conceptually much simpler than a DVCs, and uh, you know, for a number of environments, that's that's a really important consideration. So um, tell us about this new thing that you're doing here, Veracity. So, uh, so yeah, we, uh, we decided that we wanted to uh, play in the DVCS world. And so we developed something that we think is somewhat different than Git uh, and Mercurial. Um, if it turns out that absolutely every developer on Earth um, chooses Git, and for the first time in the history of version control, there's no market fragmentation at all. Uh, then we will have wasted our time. <laughs> but uh, as it happens, um, in my 20-odd years of working in this field, it looks to me like uh, people are just really fussy about their version control tool. They all have weird preferences. People like different things. Some people love tool A and other people hate tool A. And there's nothing more polarizing than version control. And uh, for that reason, yeah. I don't think one tool is going to rule them all. And uh, so we've developed something that we think offers the market some different trade-offs. And uh, we hope I we end up finding our place in the world. Yeah, you know, uh, it seems to me that's one of those tools that you once you've once you get it, you you put so much. Um, I won't say so much, but you have this comfortable learning curve, and you, it really becomes painful to switch. Yeah, uh, it certainly is not the kind of thing that people change every day. I mean, people are very uh, resistant to changing their version control tool, and for good reason. So once people have a choice, they're happy with. They uh, they tend to stay. So, given that, um, I wonder if many of the Git uh, uh, users are new to source control at all. Well, I think it's possible that a lot of them are new to source control. Um, I also think that it is, uh, you know, not everybody has the luxury of choosing their own version control tool. Some people, you know, their source control tool is chosen for them, right? And those people are ready for change. Uh, quite often, they're not happy. Because somebody came along in 1985 and said, you're using PVCS. And nobody ever told them different. And right. <laughs> when the time came that somebody gave them the privilege of choosing their own tool, they chose what's hot and cool. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? 
I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Now, why are we talking about distributed version control differently from any ver is isn't all version control distributed by its nature? Well, the Yes and no. I mean, what the the so-called DVCS tools use the word distributed in um, in a, in their own way, <laughs> and in a different way than it is used for client server. Um, so, you know, in a nutshell, a distributed tool is called that because each node or each uh, user has a complete copy of the repository uh, right next to them. It's not client server in the sense that when I do operations, I'm always talking over the network to a server somewhere else. Right. It's distributed in the sense that I'm working on a local clone of the repo, and then I'm going to push my changes to somewhere else, say, the central server when I'm ready. Right. And so, I mean, the big thing here is you're not being punished every single time you try to access a file. You have a local copy. It's only when you want to sync up. And uh, no, no pun, pun intended, Eric. <laughs> uh, that that you find out you've been checked out for too long, or you know you haven't been paying close enough attention to your your source control. That's right. That's right. You don't you don't really have to contact the server until you're ready to synchronize your changes with the server, and that can be pushing your changes up or pulling other people's changes down. Right. Either way, that's a you know that's an explicit operation now, and. Uh, all the operations that you do on your local clone as a consequence tend to be really, really fast. And, and, you know, from my mind, when I think distributed, I think each people, you know, that unique pieces are in different places. They're distributed, but you're, you're really talking about everybody's got everything essentially. That's typically the way people use it. Um, you know, certainly the distributed model gives you, um, a lot of flexibility, sometimes too much flexibility. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and that's exactly what I was thinking. There, there's danger here, too. Yep. Oh, yeah. There's definitely danger. <laughs> I mean, this is a very flexible model. Um, but, like, you know, I mean, the C programming language is pretty flexible, too. And you can, well, yeah. you can cause Flex a lot of damage with C. Flexibility means complexity. And um, that means that you can do a lot of crazy stuff. When, what, are, what are some of the common problems that people on modern version control systems run into uh so when you say modern version control you mean dvcs or centralized yeah i mean centralized i mean uh, uh, centralized or distributed I, let's let's just take git for example like what is okay. what do you think the the biggest problem that people are going to run into is well i mean so problem number one with git usually is um uh, ease of use um some people 
come to Git, and the first thing they find out is that there's an extra layer of abstraction. There's a there's this staging area, and it's it's not enough that they have a staging area, which introduces one extra step, but that staging area is called an index, which is mm-hmm. for many people not an intuitive terminology at all. Um, and uh, some people just get scared away right from the beginning. And these are the ones that made it all the way to the command line. I mean, <laughs> right? Some people, you know, just don't want to use a command line tool. So, I mean, and I sound like I'm criticizing Git. I'm not. I, I happen to be one of those power users that likes flexible power tools, but not everybody's like us. And some of those people, you know, for for them, Git is a turnoff right away. Uh, another problem that happens is um, Git is not really being adopted. Um, by the gaming companies right now. Hmm. Um, the big deal there is that gaming companies don't just deal with source code. They deal with images and videos and uh, all kinds of these, what they call binary assets. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a couple things about binary assets. One is that they don't merge well. Yeah. So and they're hard a distributed to transfer model, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, distributed model doesn't work well for them right now. And the other thing is they're big. So, yeah. I mean, if, you're t- if your repository is a terabyte? Do you really want an instance of the whole repository on everybody's laptop? I've been actually thinking of using some sort of version control for uh, the studio. We have lots of digital assets, and they're on hard drives sprinkled all over the place. And, uh, man, it would be really nice to have some sort of central repository. But I guess now you're getting to well, not just central repository, but an index, you know, central index. is, yeah. is, is uh, Rather than, you know, putting everything on one big honking server, which... By the way, let's 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 t- rant about RAID and how much it sucks here for a minute. I have <laughs> lost more data on RAID systems that are supposedly all about, you know, safety of data and backing up and all this stuff than I have on conventional hard drives. Enough said. Freaking yeah. pissed off about that, but I wasted a lot of time and money with RAID. But uh, you know, but what I'm saying is, you got a lot of hard drives. It's great to just plug in more drives, but now Finding stuff and keeping versions right, you know, now you're trawling for dates and times in a directory somewhere. Does, uh, do, do it, a lot of these, any of these central repositories work well in that kind of environment? Well, they're, um, you know, some of what you're talking about is, uh, like a centralized indexing service. Yeah. For, for all the stuff you've got. Right. Um, you know, in general, that's, a lot of a lot of places are going to consider that somewhat out of scope for version control, and distributed version control doesn't particularly address that problem. Right. Um, the uh, my impression is the folks that are doing situations with lots of binary assets, um, they're all you know they're all in love with Perforce, and uh, I think that's Perforce's most successful niche right now. Yeah. You know, and some of those people wish they could switch to Git, but they can't. Um, and you know that's. That's one of the reasons why fragmentation exists. We're not all going to use the yeah. same version control tool. What is Perforce doing right there? Because I was thinking when you were saying like they don't, everybody doesn't want to copy the digital assets. Actually, they want some of them because if they're doing test runs, those big assets take time to bring over the network. I want some local. Well, what if uh, the the idea here in the studio first before you answered, um, Eric, is that I have lots of all my data is local. I just have tons and tons of drives external, internal, you know, connected to the central PC on which I do recording and video because they have to be local because they're huge. Like, you know, when, when a client comes in and they want to pull up a, a session they did last year, I got to have that hard drive ready. I don't necessarily have to have it mounted, but I got to know which one it is and which one to plug in. You know what I'm saying? 
That's what yeah. I'm dealing with. Just huge amounts of data. Yeah, yeah, it's well, I mean, and you're going to have challenges with that much data regardless of what kind of tool set you're using. Yeah. Um Perforce is not necessarily, you know, it's not an end-all be-all solution. It just happens to be one version control tool that works pretty well with lots of really large files. Yeah. But it it's not magic. I wrote a tool called WAMP. Where are my files? Because <laughs> I have, like I said, I have lots and lots of hard drives. You know, everybody who comes here, we we ha- we save all the files from everybody. I mean, costs you a hundred bucks for a huge hard drive that you, an entire customer their data can go on that. But you know, I I need to label it and I and I index it with this tool that just basically gives me a directory listing, puts it in a centralized place so that I can search over it. And then I know, you know, I know which hard drive it's in and I can mount it up and, and access it locally. I, I think it's amazing how, I mean, off topic for just a little bit. I mean, it's amazing that we have generated so much data that we don't have good tools to manage. I mean, mm. my pet peeve is, is digital photos. Oh, oh yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, there are how many digital photo management applications are there out there? And, you know, I, I just don't feel like I'm happy with any of them. And the mm. latest epiphany I had in terms of just archiving my digital photos is maybe I shouldn't delete them from the SD card. <laughs> maybe I should <laughs> I should just fill up SD cards and then put it on the shelf and buy another one. Because SDs mean, are cheap can, and, and, and hassling with that is expensive. Right. Exactly. Just number them, index them, put them away, put them in a box. Right. Yeah, and, and what you're basically pointing to is chronology is basically the most viable indexing system we've got. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. And all the time that I have spent taking photos off of SD cards and moving them from hard drive to hard drive to server over the network and Wi-Fi, you know, carrying a, an SD card across the room is pretty high bandwidth. Yeah. <laughs> now you're docking data transfer rates. I love it. <laughs> well, and especially if you've got a fixation on raw photo taking yeah right oh Where yeah the file formats are epic yeah yeah the only problem is eric that you can't you know sit down and see the grand slideshow of everything you know uh you'd have to cherry pick if you want to put a slideshow together yeah yeah, yeah. that's true unless no, you get unless you invent some sort of you know sd card reader that supports 25 different sd cards at the same time you know now there's some fun that would be cool <laughs> That's what I want. I want a, a rack. Yeah. <laughs> An array SD of cards. SD cards. You know, but there's a, this fundamental distinction between what you're talking about with your photos, Eric, and what Carl's talking about with the assets around uh, recordings of stuff, which is, you know, your photos generally you want to look at as a whole. Yeah. And and Carl's projects are fairly discrete projects that, you know, you've got individual drives that got three or four different projects on them as well. Like, it, it's that granularity of data sets that is really the tricky part in all this. Yep. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And, um, I mean, I admitted when I started that that was a tangent because, mm. hey, you put a microphone in front of me so I get to complain. <laughs> um, well, I'm not done ranting about Raid, man. Where Are you oh, with me? Yeah, actually, <laughs> are you with you're me? You're absolutely right. Raid sucks. Yeah, nice. But you know what? I mean, to walk us back to source control, you know, and I've seen people use subversion for managing marketing documentation and digital assets, like those kinds of things, because it's not just code we need to check in. It's how do we allocate all of the assets of a project together, no matter where they are and what they look like. That's right. Um, and it's it's increasingly common that people are putting more than code in there. Um, and actually, just to... Uh, to mention veracity again, that's one area where we're hoping that we're going to take uh, DVCS a little further. We're uh, 
we're trying to make sure that Veracity is a great tool for storing more than just code. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we actually are implementing, um, have implemented uh, a pretty basic locking mechanism, which is one of the reasons why you know, DVCS has not worked well for binary assets is that if two people are modifying it, you're, you're in a merge situation that is unresolvable. Mm, right. And that's one of the cases where people just wish they had 1992 style locking in their version control tool. And so yeah. we've implemented plain old that. fashioned pessimistic. You can't have it. This guy's got it locks. Exactly. I'm, Which is, yeah. it's not the right way to run a team, you know, of source control developers, but if you're editing a Photoshop file, all you really want to know is that nobody else is. Right. Right. You know, I'm still, I, I, I look back on the days where I worked at Crescent Software and they wrote their own point of sale app using uh, DataEase, which was like a database that was programmable. But they were essentially writing random access files and, and using all the locking stuff that's built into the OS, you know, and, and reading and writing records in the same file and sharing access to it. Man, you talk about fast. That was fast. I mean, and those were those weren't you know those are three eighty six machines, which were fun you know fast at, during the day, but but still very fast and more usable than a lot of modern systems that I've that I've used. That's true. All right, where were we? Yeah, these are interesting problems. Now the other side, I think you're dealing with in distributed version control is protecting the connectivity across the wire. Just, you know, the, that this is our IP assets. When you were talking about the gaming industry, just staying away from Git and stuff, I thought one part of this has got to be the gaming industry is very sensitive about their unique assets. They protect stuff internal to their network pretty strictly. Mm. Things like GitHub are just, you know, off the radar. Yeah, them. that's true. Well, I mean, certainly if, a, you know, enterprise customers, uh, gaming customers, professional developers, these guys are all going to use DVCS when their time comes, but they're going to use it. They're not going to use GitHub uh, in all likelihood. They're going to use it in most cases inside their firewall. So, you know, everything's going to be protected. Uh, the, the one challenge though, that, that those organizations are going to face is that uh, some of them don't want the, a complete copy of their repository sitting on somebody's laptop in an airport. Yeah. And the, yeah. uh, they're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. And one of the first steps they're going to have to do to figure out how to deal with that is to realize it's already happening to them. Yeah. You're <laughs> deluding yourself if you do not think that many of your developers have copies of your source out of your control. Yeah. Right. That's Just, absolutely true. And, you know, yeah. I know of enterprise organizations that have configured their virus scanners to detect Git. <laughs> nice. <laughs> There's an interesting crossover. Um, I mean, I mean, I put my IT hat on here now and say, look, I can build a, a dev laptop that's using uh, BitLocker and so forth, so that you can have a copy on the on your machine. And if your machine is stolen, it's pretty much inaccessible. You know, you, you're gonna you're gonna have to work magic to get to that. But I, I'll throw another argument at you guys, just another direction. How valuable is source code really? Really? You know, um, the digital assets have much clearer copyright value here and there. But how many times have somebody handed you some source code and said, here, you know, I have a copy of the product and good luck trying to actually get it to build? Because <laughs> you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah. And therefore, right. it's, it may take a while just to figure out what you don't have or don't know. Certainly, the fear is disproportionate with the actual risk. I mean, it's to a little the reality. Bit like- 
like a bottle of water going through, you know, the TSA checkpoint. I mean, how how dangerous is water anyway? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean it, honestly, if a, if somebody's source code slipped out into the open and got left in a laptop in a coffee shop, ninety nine times out of a hundred or more, you know, yeah. it, there's not going to be any harm. Yeah, it's very it's very hard to find uh, actual examples of harm in that model. And the reality is, if somebody really wants your source. There are pretty easy ways to get it. I guess I could right. think of some chemicals, Richard, that when interact with water could be pretty damn dangerous. Well, sodium you know, comes you... to mind, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other. That's a whole geek out <laughs> show right there. You know what the TSA is actually worried about was not what we, the water in the water bottles, what the what else could be in the water bottle that's not actually water. Sure. Uh, well, anyway, that's, that's something else entirely. Speaking of digression, yeah. Well, but, speaking but of to finish the digression, both the TSA and many enterprise IT agree, uh, departments, uh, they care more about the illusion of security than they care about security. So. Oh, yes. And, 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 yeah. and great connector there, Eric. That's exactly the truth. We're, this is about keeping the mortals calm. Litigation. Fear of litigation. <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah. it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You want to protect something, protect those credit card numbers you're storing in that flipping database you've got. Right. That's, That's what you should be protecting. Starting with, don't do that. Right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh my! Welcome to Common Sense Hour. It's Carl there Richard and Eric Sink. You never wanted to store those. You don't want them. Don't Make them go away. Do that. Ah, you know what time it is, Richard? Yes, sir. It is time to give away something. I like giving away things. What are we going to give away? Well, you know what we're talking about here. This is the .NET Rocks fan club. And what we've decided to do is give away a prize on every show. Mm-hmm. We have two prizes to give away. Very nice. Both to the same guy. Oh, somebody's about to score big. Yes. The first prize is a Telerik Ultimate Collection. $2,000 worth of Telerik goodness. Well, yeah, it's $2,000 retail, but it's really about $7,000 worth of software. Yeah. And that's all free. It's everything Telerik does, all for you, Keith Baker from Phelps, New York. Congratulations, Keith. Crowd goes wild. Crowd of one. Crowd of three. There you go. And the second prize is from Nimble Pros at nimblepros.com. That's Steve Smith, our good friend. The Software Craftsmanship 2012 Motivational Calendar. I have that. I want you all to go to nimblepros.com right now and look at this. It's freaking hilarious. And you have one of these, and I have one of these, Richard. Yeah. Is it not the best anti-pattern? And now Keith's got one, too. So congratulations, Keith, and thanks for being a fan. Yeah. Designed by committee, reinventing the wheel, death march. Copy folder versioning, duct tape coder. Love that one. Very good stuff. And uh, if you want, oh, the other thing we're going to do is give away $5,000 worth of gear every year starting mm-hmm. 2012, December 2012. So if you want to get in on that, go to .netrocks.com slash fanpage.aspx or click in the big win free stuff icon in the upper right hand corner. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. 
Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago, I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's Grape City Power Tools Spread. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.NET and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package. So You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.NET from Grape City Power Tools. Smarter components for smarter developers. Hey, Eric. Yes. I, I want to tap your experience with source control systems here because uh, I'm, I would argue if anybody to ask, uh, you're the one. And, and I'm actually relating Sean Wildermuth's question on Twitter yep. here, just your impressions of the differences, advantages, and disadvantages, at least from a technical perspective, of Git and Mercurial. Uh, wow. How much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, not, so, he says not the uh, ecosystem, just the tech. Differences between Git and Mercurial. I'll, I'll just hit some highlights here. I mean, they're both outstanding. Mercurial, I consider to be the winner on ease of use. Really? Um, yeah, I, I would have to say that. Most people that come to DVCS for the first time uh, and choose Mercurial end up pretty happy and lot not confused. Some of the Git people uh, are more confused. Mm-hmm. Um Mercurial, as of today, with their 2.1 release, has a new thing they call phases, which I think is interesting. I'm still trying to sort it out. Um, but uh, w- that brings me to one major difference between the culture of these two tools, and that is that Git has um, – I want to be careful to say this in a fair way. Um, these two c- tools have a different culture about the immutability of, of the repository. Hmm. Um, Git actually encourages its developers, its users to, to modify change sets and reorder them and rewrite them as much as people want until they've been pushed to somewhere else. And Mercurial comes more from the perspective of uh, once something has been committed to the repository, even if that is a private clone, right. it, it, it is immutable. Never touch, you never touch it again. You just do something else behind it. The new, exactly. next rev. That's right. Okay. So, um, and what they have done, what Mercurial has done in their version 2.1 release is that they've tried to introduce a little bit of a framework for defining what change sets can be modified and what cannot, mm-hmm. uh, which, which I think is an interesting gray area between those two cultural extremes. Um, so, I mean, I'm just going to mention that as, as very fresh news in the version control world today. Um, but, but I think uh, cha- the change set personality thing is a really core concept. Yes. You know, in, in some ways, I would think that the mercurial approach is something that the business owner is going to be so much more comfortable with because I think it gives you a very clear chain of progression where Git seems more dev centric. You know, we are making art here and we will mash it around until it comes out the way we like it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's why we've made the choice we have with Veracity, which has, um, has, you know, very strict notions of immutability. And it's much more like Mercurial, if not more so. Uh, just because, you know, we think our appeal will be in the business world and, um, people who don't use version control tools, but, but, uh, you know, but still have opinions on them, you know, they want things to be immutable. They want, they want a clear chain. Well, thanks for that. And, uh, yeah, and I appreciate your insight. Like you, you drilled in on the thing that, that I think is the most interesting part about those kind of differences, not just the UI. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and the, it, there's all, all kinds of differences, but that's usually the biggest one uh, that gets highlighted. Hey, going back a second. Um, yeah. 
I don't know where you guys want to edit and put this, but when you were giving away stuff, I wanted to chime in and say um, that, you know, as part of my appearance on the show, I was hoping I would be able to give away more books. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, we, uh, you know, as you mentioned at the start of the show, um, I wrote a book last uh, fall called Version Control by Example, and we have been giving it away. We're in our second printing. The first printing was 10,000 copies, <laughs> and we gave those away. And now uh, I don't know how many are left. We've got several thousand left. But uh, if you go to the URL that I gave you guys beforehand, how do you, yep, how do you, it's on, how do you it's want on to the communicate site. URLs? Yeah, it's on the site. Okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a link to uh, the page on SourceGear site where you can go and ask for a free copy of the book, and we will send you one um, while supplies last. Uh, and the other thing is um, I would love to start sending these out more than one at a time. Because <laughs> <laughs> ah. what we've been doing is, you know, people ask for a book, we send them a book. And um, the shipping costs are, uh, are uh, we're getting tired of the shipping costs. That's the okay. way to say it. So if you run a user group or if you teach a computer science class that covers version control and you have a credible way of giving away 50 or 100 books all at one time to like your user group members or your students, send email to us at vcbe at sourcegear.com and ask for a bunch of books and we'll send you a box instead of just one. Very good. And if you'd like to give away some of those uh, in the fan club way, we can do that as well. Just send them, send us a box and we'll, we'll give them out. Cool. Uh, we don't mind uh, shipping costs. We ship we ship something at least one or two things every show, don't we, Richard? Pretty much. Yeah. So we'll take over some of that shipping cost for you. Absolutely. Not a bad idea. So uh, another couple of tweets here. Um, this is this is an open ended question. I'll skip that one. How about this one from Stefan Polson? Is there any case where you shouldn't move to DCVS? Yeah, I think we sort of covered a little bit of that. Is there anything we missed? Um, well, you know, one of the things that I have said over and over, um, uh, when people ask me about version control tools, um, I've been doing this for 10 years. <laughs> people come to us at trade shows and say, why should I switch to vault? And, uh, my initial question is, is always, are you happy with the tool you're using? And they say, if they say yes, and I say, don't switch. <laughs> so, I mean, one of the, one of the cases of when you should not switch is when you're happy. Um, there's a reason why people are resistant to the, those kinds of changes, and there's no reason to to fix something that isn't broken. But uh, the other the other case we've already covered, and that is that if you're doing tons of large binary assets, you need to wait for the DBCS world to uh, to catch up to that use case and do a good job for you. Is there PowerShell support for it? Um, I think the answer is no. Um. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> You're uh, um, I'm not a PowerShell expert, mm -hmm. so I suspect that that question means something that I that we don't support. So, Eric, I'm going to change gears a little bit here because you are one of my heroes for choosing lifestyle over labor. <laughs> that you you know you there there is a version of Eric Sink I believe out there in the multiverse that is still working at Microsoft. <laughs> that got caught in all that stuff you did way back when. But, uh, you know, I really appreciate the conversation we had with you a number of years ago. We just talked about, no, you know what? I like being where I am with my family, working a particular way. Yeah. You know, where are you with all of that these days? 
Well, um, I don't. I can't say that I remember every detail of that last conversation. Um, I can say that uh, um, I still live in Central Illinois, mm-hmm. and I uh, I still like uh, my job, and I still like my life here. Um, I can say that my kids are, uh, my daughters are teenagers now, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't like parenting teenagers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Got a couple myself. Oh, my yeah. I know what you mean. Yep. And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to the stage after this one, uh, <laughs> whatever that is. But uh, no, I, in general, um, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't make the, uh, the choice to, uh, to do uh, the West Coast or something like that, right. um, and I don't, you know, I don't have any resentment or criticism of those who do. I'm just thankful that uh, my choices worked out well for me. I mean, we've mm-hmm. been very successful. Um, we have a we have short commutes, and uh, we uh, we have an environment, uh, a, you know, a, a community where it's uh, it's a great place to raise families, and uh, so you know, in a sense. Um, I'm uh, I'm not going to be as rich as uh, as Zuckerberg is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but then who will be? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I think I think I've made a, a nice balancing choice here that uh, is working really well for me. Well, that's the word balance. I I find that that word has come back to haunt me time and time again, and I, in a good way. Uh, it, it seems like that that's the key. You know, if you're if you're if you're going too far in any one direction, you're going too far. Well, yeah, there's there's certainly a lot to be said for balance because um, in whatever form, if your life is out of balance, it tends to produce pain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and it's also interesting to, that, you know, you basically work on a tool that helps facilitate that lifestyle of living where you want, working with the people you want, in the locations you want, even if it's different for each other. Certainly that, you know, that has become more and more true. I mean, when we started out in version control, the uh, the world was a little different. I mean, it mm, wasn't a little. You know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, these days um, when people who are not developers ask me what I do for a living, I say, I create tools that help software developers work together over the Internet. That's good. Uh, that's the best explanation I can give to a non-programmer who asks me the question. And, you know, they understand it and it resonates with people. Yeah. And it's certainly not what you started out doing. You know, we started all this long before anybody was really worried about the internet for that kind of work. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we were, we were creating software. We were talking about, you know, diff and merge and, you know, I mean, these are the things that, these are the way we get our job done. But in the end, mostly what we do is we help people work together over the internet. So what's next for you? Well, you know, we're going to continue, um, with, uh, with veracity, I mean, we feel like we're just at the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did sit down at lunch today and uh, spend about twenty minutes thinking, "Man, three D printing! I should get into three D <laughs> printing." Three <laughs> D printing is awfully cool. I think there's a geek out show in my future about that. I like three D food printing personally. Have you oh, heard? Yeah. Of, have you <laughs> heard of this? Where your toner cartridges are molecules that are the building blocks of food, and you basically say, eh, "Print me a PBJ." Nice. <laughs> That's right. It's an idea, anyway. Not my yeah, idea. Heard after about lunch, I, I put away my 3D, 3D printing idea, and I went back to work, and I said, you know, um, there's millions and millions of people who have not switched to DVCS yet, and as they switch, we want to make sure that Veracity is one of the viable options for them to choose from. And, Very good. and it's an open source project, Apache license. You can just go download it at veracity-scm.com. That's correct. Awesome. 
Eric, stay awesome, will you? Thank you, sir. It's been yes. fun. Hey, oh, one more thing. Yeah. Um, early, when I was waiting in the green room before mm-hmm. um, before my part, and you were talking about this acoustic guitar thing. Oh, yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> what do you play? Well, I have one Taylor and four Martins. You oh, are my Taylor. target audience. So. <laughs> once again, some of the best programming minds I could ever talk to, musicians. Yeah. Acoustic Addicts will be the name of the show. And yeah. uh, I'll send you I'll send you a link to the uh, pilot as soon as it's done. Sounds like fun. All right. Thanks again, Eric. Thank you. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on .net rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Plop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a